Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Today on this this Mother's Day, as I was preparing for this Sunday, uh, like we talked about, this is a day fraught with so many different um, emotions and, and realities, uh, ones that we need to be cognizant of and, and willing to, to grieve in and, and be present in and to celebrate in. There's, there's a mixture of it all. But the thing that was really setting upon my heart was this idea of what is the, the remaining truth that comes from the role of a mother? What is, what is the, the legacy that is found in someone who is, who is mothering, who is parenting in a meaningful way? And, and for myself, when I think about those word legacy, uh, a wide range of thoughts and emotions also come into the equation. But I wonder for you this morning, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, we say this every Sunday, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, I I want this to feel like a safe place where you can ask honest, open questions wherever you're at with the confidence that I so believe that wherever you're at is more than enough for the savior of the the universe, for, for the creator of the universe to meet you where you're at this morning. So the question that kind of lands within my heart when I think about legacy is is what are the things that cause a legacy to stand, to remain, to, to fall within the midst of our very being? And what are, maybe the question that we are confronted with more honestly is what are the enemies of our legacy? And so we're going to reflect upon a passage of Scripture. Maybe you've read it before. Maybe this will be the first time. I'll provide a little bit of context for it. But we're going to look to uh, the story of Esther, particularly particularly Esther chapter 4. And uh, as we're reading this, I want you to ask this question of yourself. Have there ever been moments in your life that you wish you could fast forward? So let's read this together. We're going to read out of Esther chapter 4, and we're going to break it up a little, but starting in verse 1, it says, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. So at this moment, Mordecai had just learned of of a decree that was sent down for basically the genocide of the Jewish people for the destruction of the Jewish people. And as this decree had come to, his, to come to his knowledge, this is his response. And it says in verse two, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther Esther's eunuchs and female attendants, so it was Queen Esther in this scenario. She has been given the opportunity to be the queen in, in a time and place where probably no one would have ever thought that was possible. And it says that when Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, her uncle, 
She was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned a tender, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Mordecai would explain the decree that was, that was calling for the genocide of the Jewish people. But Esther's predicament was this. Though she had standing, though she had authority, she was still in a place that she could not simply make a request of the king, as she, at least as she knew her relationship and standing with the king to be. She wasn't even seeing the king for extended periods of time. She hadn't seen him for even a month. And to approach him without permission was death. But after she explained her predicament and that message was communicated to Mordecai, this is what Mordecai's response was to her. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. This is a powerful moment that we're seeing, this engagement of, of the reality that they're in from two different scenarios where Mordecai and the people of Israel are at, uh, the Jewish people are at, and where, where Esther is in her standing as the queen. But the reality that they were facing, though they might have been different, there was an opportunity in front for her response to be more than simply letting her fear drive through in the moment. She really receives this powerful push from Mordecai. For if you remain silent. And I almost hear that call from Mordecai in different ways for us this morning. For if you remain silent, you, uh, you, whoever you are, wherever you're watching from, wherever you're listening from, know this, that there is a call of God upon your life that is beyond what you see and what you experience here and now. And, and the potential that lies in the moments that we are in is often hindered by the, the situations that we can only see for ourselves, the implications that we might only feel for ourselves. But I hear this call from Mordecai, for if you remain silent, and I sometimes hear for myself, for if you remain fearful, for if you remain stagnant, for if you remain self-obsessed, for if you remain unmoved, then we don't know what's going to happen. It might be too far gone. I, I still love the, the hope that is found in Mordecai where he says, if you don't do something, I still believe that someone will, but this is your opportunity, that God still will intervene, but God is inviting you into this opportunity. And so wherever you are this morning, 
it might not seem that we're in a world full of opportunity, that the opportunity right now might just be to go out walks outside and enjoy the sunshine, and we might think that's the extent of our opportunities to a degree, but the potential of the moment lies in our ability to say yes to the opportunity of God, the invitation of God to step outside of just what we can see and step into the future that he might have for us, that we might be feeling like we want to fast forward through these difficult moments, that for this moment for Esther, I wonder if she just wanted to hit fast forward so she can get on to the next. That's what I often catch myself in these difficult situations and difficult moments of decision making, that I just want to hit fast forward. I don't want to deal with the, with the tumultuous nature that it kind of sparks inside of me. I don't want to deal with the, with the repercussions of my decisions. I don't want to deal with the reality of relationships being broken, of, of heartache being felt, and I just want to fast forward through it. But I wonder so often if we are rushing to fast forward through a situation that we forget the opportunity to stand fast in it for someone else. If Esther had chosen to fast forward through that moment, she would not have seen the opportunity to stand fast for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people that were about to undergo destruction. Fast forwarding. It's like, it's like a movie that you don't enjoy. I, I know for myself, I don't really enjoy horror movies. Some of y'all are, after a long, long day of work, you, you come home and you're like, I want to watch a horror movie. I don't get that. I don't particularly understand that. I feel like we have enough stress in our lives to undergo like continual stress in the space of a horror movie where we, we know what's kind of ha going to happen. We know it's going to be a little cheesy in moments. We know it's probably going to frighten us, and yet we put ourselves through it. It's not for me. It might be for you. It's not for me. And whenever it gets to those moments, I've had to put myself through it because I have fallen prone to peer pressure moments and watch movies with friends and then I'm just like let's fast forward through this part I don't want to experience this I want to rush on through this because I don't want to have that feeling that it creates and you know what we want to fast forward far too often in our lives because we are uncomfortable with the realities of the moment but when we are people who listen to the voice of God instead of listening to the voice of self instead of listening to that internal voice of fear we listen to that that greater voice of hope and joy and strength that invites us to stand fast. Don't fast forward, stand fast. For Esther, she, she could have kind of just shot from the hip and, and gone forward with it, but she didn't just listen to the situation that was presented. She paused and she reflected and she invited God into it that she was going to allow God to begin to speak. She chose to fast and invited people to, to fast. When I say fast, not eat and pause and pray and invite God to provide some direction on how to proceed. She was no longer looking for a quick fix. Because a quick fix is kind of like consuming to get what we want when we want it. It's, it's trying to make it happen right away, but far too often... The quick fix isn't the ultimate fix. The quick fix is actually the band-aid that gets washed away pretty quickly once the flood comes. And so we have a decision to make in situations like this. She was a byproduct of a, of a people that had seen God move. She was a byproduct of a people of a, of a history where the legacy was to wait upon the Lord. And sometimes we need to make that decision for ourselves. And so this morning... 
as we, as we kind of process through this idea of legacy within the story of Esther, I want to look in particular, like I said, at the enemies of legacy. Because I think if we can identify the enemies, we can sometimes identify the opportunities. Because I have learned this in my own story. Far, far too often when I feel like my life is under attack or there is an overwhelming sense of, of oppression or or hurt coming upon me from different situations, instead of running away, I have an opportunity to look directly into it because if you're moving in the right direction, sometimes you're going to face opposition from the enemy who doesn't want you to discover the fullness of God that he has for you. And so to discover the enemies is going to also provide some light to the possible opportunities. So I hope that you're with me this morning. We're, we're looking at the story of Esther and the first enemy of legacy that I see in the story of Esther that she had the opportunity, we've kind of already talked about it, is the fast fix. Esther didn't choose the fast fix. Instead, she chose to be patient. And that's a word that we all need to learn. And this is something that I have seen in bounty from my own mom. And I can only speak from, from my experience and from my relationship. From, but from my mom, I have seen a countless number of moments where patience was simply the response that provided healing in the moment. It was not a perfectly articulated sentence. It was not the, the perfect decision that created a sequence of events that, that provided healing. But it was the ability to pause and to wait and to listen, and to be present. And City Collective, one of the greatest barriers to the legacy that you are called to hold in this world, the legacy that you are called to have as, as a child of God, is the impatience that we carry to move forward into what we believe is actually meant for us. What we believe is, is some, maybe something that God has for us, but we are so impatiently pushing past it that we can't see the need to be patient and stand fast in it. Because when I am patient, I am choosing to place my trust in the heart of God. When I am patient, I am finding peace in the plan of God. When I am patient, I am choosing to listen to wisdom. And when I am patient, I am choosing to see beyond the moment. I, I, I've told this story before, but uh, it's, a, it's a very obviously a vivid story. that I remember the very first time that I had to like really try out for a basketball team. Uh, the year before, I didn't really have to try out really. Everybody on the Everybody that came got to make the team. The next year, they started decided to split the group into an upper group and a lower group, two teams. And the very first day of tryouts, I was sick like a dog. And I was so upset, but I was like, I'm going to push through, I'm going to push through, I'm going to go and do it. But my mom made a wise decision and said, that is not going to be safe for anybody there. We need to wait until tomorrow. Got better, felt a little bit better the next day, showed up for the trial, and I got there, and I knew for sure they had already made their decisions about who was going to be where after the first day. And I feel like I didn't get a fair shake of it. I didn't feel like I got a, a good chance to actually show my skills or to be present in that in that day of tryouts and I remember leaving that tryout getting back to the car my mom is sitting in the front seat and Jessica was sitting in the side beside me and then uh, I sat down in that car and before I know I whip open that door and I just threw up as much as I could out the side of that door it was not a pretty scene and I was so 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 overwhelmed with just grief and sadness and feeling like this is the end of it mom I want to quit I don't want to do this anymore I should have had the opportunity 
opportunity, but it was just because I was sick. It's not my fault. And my mom preached patience in that moment. And she said, this season is going to be your best season. This season is going to be one that if you really do want to, you can take a step away from it. But I promise you, if you stay in the fight, if you're patient, if you are actually willing to put in the work, you're going to discover that there is incredible opportunity within it. And I remember that season having as difficult moments, but I got a chance to lead. I got a chance to play. I got a chance to grow. And it was one of the great, better seasons that I've had in, in, in that time of my life. It was just an incredible testament to, to the power of patience. God wants you to be patient. And patience is not something that we often want to do because we are impatiently waiting for a patient God to do something in our life. But his timing is better than our timing. I love this quote from Priscilla Shearer, and she says this. She says, we can't anticipate and provide for life's trials, but the Lord can and does. The Lord wants us to, to thirst not after a quick fix to our problems, but after the life-altering refreshment of his provision. Impatience trusts only ourselves. Impatience finds anxiety around every corner. Impatience listens to fear, and impatience only sees the immediate. Impatience is an enemy of legacy. We're not about that fast fix. We're about standing fast, about being patient and carrying that into every situation we're in. The next thing that I saw in the story of Esther, she didn't look for a quick fix. She decided to stand fast. The next thing was a... An enemy of legacy is an isolated perspective. An isolated perspective. Esther, in that moment, if she had simply seen that when she approaches the throne room, she was not going to be able to actually do anything of value. If she only saw that approaching that throne room is going to cause certain death, she wouldn't have taken a step. She had to have her perspective broadened by the, by the invitation of Mordecai. She had to have her perspective broadened by that moment in which Mordecai says, don't you see what is actually going to take place? Don't you see the impact of your opportunity? Don't you see that if you do nothing, this is what is going to happen? We need to see beyond ourself to have a legacy that lasts. And an enemy of legacy is an isolated perspective because an isolated perspective is often that we are often isolated upon the things that we are afraid of. Have you felt that for yourself? That when fear invades your life, it feels as if that is all you can see. It's like someone turn off the light in the room, and even though you have your eyes open, all you can see is darkness. But we need to be in relationship, in community, in, in, in discipleship, so that we can have moments where even just a glimmer of light brings hope in the midst of the darkness. That suddenly we can see, oh, what if there's the possibility of this? What if I could go over here? What if I could move over there? What if I could see this, say this? We need to have a broadening of our perspective 
if we are going to have a legacy that lasts. Because once Esther saw the broadening of her perspective, she began to have that, that shift of action where she just made the decision that even if my perspective, the, the approach to the throne is actually going to have the possibility of death, I see the opportunity of life within it that I'm going to fight for. And that isolated perspective was not going to be the thing that overwhelmed her. She was not going to obsess over the fear, but it was going to be a fixed perspective that was going to shift to a mission perspective. It was going to be more than just herself. And when I have a broadened perspective, then I'm actually willing to learn. An isolated perspective is often unwilling to learn. And it believes in something instead of simply just the, the someone, instead of just ourselves. I, I think I see this even within the social justice narratives that are running throughout our society, talking about the fact that black lives matter, talking about the fact that there is disparities in opinion when it comes to how we approach and how we treat this period of, of this pandemic of COVID realities. And I wonder to myself if our isolated perspectives is actually creating our sense of isolation. If you are feeling a sense of pure isolation, yes, there are real, tangible restrictions and realities. I get it. I feel it. But I am confronted as well within my own stubbornness that sometimes my isolated perspective feeds my isolation. And this is one of the beautiful parts of the local church. I so believe this, that within the church, you will find very few places in the world where people young and old, black and white, of all colors, of all nations, of socioeconomic backgrounds, all coming together and converging on this one place to celebrate and to, to dive into and to be in awe of our Jesus, of our Savior. And to do that together despite all of our differences, that is beautiful and that is the kingdom. And I wonder if so, in some ways if this pandemic has just created isolated perspectives to feed our isolation. But church, we are not isolated in our perspective because we have a community of people that are experiencing life in so many different ways. Maybe one of the most powerful things that you can do in a moment of tension, in a moment of feeling overwhelmed, is to listen to a perspective that is not your own. I'm not saying that you have to, you have to agree with everyone and anything, but sometimes when we listen, we hear more than just the perspective, we hear the heart. We hear the person. We hear the brokenness and the experience, and we have the heart of Jesus kind of infiltrate our own perspective and bring empathy and healing and a willingness to stand with them in the midst of it all. We live in a world that is so divided. The church is not called to be divided. The church is called to be a place of healing and unity. And if we have a broadened perspective to overcome the enemy of legacy, which is an isolated perspective, I truly believe legacy is possible on a personal, individual, and communal level. Number two, isolated perspective. Let me read this quote to you from Henry Nguyen. He says, people who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness. 
but they choose not to live in it. They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself, and that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. They point each other to flashes of light here and there and remind each other that they reveal the hidden but real presence of God. That's a broadened perspective that we can help each other discover. The, the, the next thing that I feel is often an enemy of legacy is comparison or in some situations that could be simply called lust. Esther couldn't let the experience of another dictate the actions for herself. At the beginning of the story of Esther, before she is queen, there is another queen, Queen Vashti, who comes to the throne room and who is, who is embarrassed in the situation, and it doesn't go well for her. And there are other aspects of this story that are at play. Do not get me wrong. There is, there is some nuance and variance to it. But I think so often for us, even though details might be different, when we see one aspect of a previous experience go a certain way, we equate it ultimately as our experience as well. She would have maybe seen, if she had allowed comparison to take control, she would have seen that Queen Vashti had gone and been rejected and tossed to the side. And if, she has, if she's going to go, she's going to have that same experience. And comparison would have won the day. Death would have won the day. But she chose not to let the experience of another dictate the decision for herself. Now hear me on this. I think experience is important. I think we need to learn from each other and from the people who have gone before us and from the experiences that we have. But if your experience provides only a foundation of fear, then that is not an experience that needs to be your foundation. Experience that is a foundation of wisdom creates a different building that we move from than an experience that is a foundation of fear. And sometimes we need to sift through previous experiences to find the wisdom in it within community, within conversation, within moments of prayer and, and silence and solitude and time with our Savior, but it is so necessary to do just that. Comparison, it can, it can either be hoping or desiring what someone else has or creating discontent in ourselves over what we don't have. Comparison can even be grounds for judgment to be planted in our hearts. I, I think this is such a dangerous part that we are often confronted with in our everyday life. We are people that desire legacy. Maybe, maybe this is not a, a word that comes to the forefront of your mind, but you want to be known for certain things, for the way that you talk and walk, the way that you care for people and, and cr create conversation, the way that you do things or ha have people speak about you. That we want to be known. And legacy is part of that. But I think sometimes comparison that seeps into our conversations of legacy actually 
compares our reality to someone else. And have you noticed that when comparison is in your conversation, judgment becomes a natural response? If I'm comparing myself to someone else, often if it's coming from an unhealthy place, I'm quick to, to, to toss judgment their way. I don't want to celebrate with them. I'm just going to judge exactly what I think is wrong and what they could do better instead of celebrating the great things that God is doing in their life. But when I'm a person that is, that is finding my hope and my strength and my identity in the person of Jesus, no longer is comparison going to be my approach, no longer is judgment going to be my response, but celebration and joy and empowerment flow out of me because I have discovered that in the person of Jesus. I have discovered that my salvation is not based upon my works and my actions, it is by His grace alone, and it is by that grace that I want to treat and and serve and love the world around me. Do not let comparison overwhelm and overcome a lasting legacy that you can hold on to. Because a legacy is more than simply just what you do, but it is how you do it. It's more than just what you do, but it is how you do it. And comparison in your conversations, I think, is an indicator that how you do something is maybe not the way that legacy is going to stand up for you in your story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, was a German theologian, and he was actually a, a, a really significant voice during the, the Nazi occupation. And he says, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. If comparison is the enemy of legacy, thankfulness and gratitude is a, is a builder of legacy. Because thankfulness should not be born out of the quantity of despair that another has, but out of our identity in Christ. So that's the third one, comparison. Esther couldn't let the experience of another create fear for herself. And the fourth one is stinginess. <laughs> Esther had to decide if she was willing to give of herself. Because generosity is the greatest legacy that we as humans have the ability to leave in this world. Are we going to be a people who are generous with our time, with our talents, with our, with our gifts? We're, we have so much of an opportunity every single day to operate out of a space that is not simply for ourselves. But an enemy of legacy is our stinginess. And the fifth one, the enemy of legacy is our apathy. Esther had to choose to act. So often I think we can say it is the way that it is. But here's the thing. You are made in the image of God. You are embedded with the DNA of a creator, of somebody able to think outside of the norm, engage with the moment, and tap into the God-given gifts that you have received. So don't be discontent but, and do not believe that comfort is the goal, but peace, purpose, passion. These are the pursuits of humankind, and they are placed in the hearts of people to respond to it with their full potential. Often apathy is the voice that says, you can't really do anything that means something beyond this moment. 
Why does it even matter if you speak up? Why does it even matter if you do something? That is a lie of the enemy that is afraid of the potential that is found in the inside of you. That the enemy of legacy is so often apathy, but the opportunity of legacy is simply just action. And not action based upon our own strength, but action based on that gratitude for who God is, out of that grace that we have been shown about uh, of the things that we see around us and beside us and within us. Potential is within you because of the God that has created you. And God created Esther for this moment and she acted upon it. He placed her in this moment and she acted upon it. And the legacy of her life was more than simply that she was queen when she shouldn't have been, but it was that she had made a decision that saved the people of Israel from imminent destruction. So City Collective, know this. You are the byproduct of a divine legacy. You are created and formed with the, by the image of God. Your legacy isn't contingent upon perfection. It isn't about making all the right decisions. It is making a decision this morning to stand fast instead of fast-forwarding to stand fast with your friends and family in grief and heartache when all you want to do is run. To stand fast in a truth that reflects the heart of Jesus instead of personal preference. To stand fast in the monotonous moments of life, to be present in the joy that is set before you rather than just jumping off to the next adrenaline rush. To, to be in those moments with our, with our kids, with our families, to stand fast, that's a legacy. Know this, I just want to say this, for all the parents that are listening this morning, know this, that your legacy sometimes is as simple as just stopping and listening and playing with your kids. About caring and doing all that you do day in and day out, that is legacy. Because that is shaping their lives and that is shaping this world. That is standing fast. To stand fast in a stance of generosity, even at the demand of sacrifice, financial, time, social justice. And to stand fast in my relationship with God when the realities of life come crashing down. If you want to leave a legacy that will last, we need to fix our foundation in the God who's always standing fast for you. The legacy of Jesus is one of empathy and joy and generosity of sacrifice and of returning to God, of this rhythm that says, come, come to me, you are heavy burdened and I will give you rest. A lasting legacy will be most honestly found in the ultimate legacy of someone who places their life in who Jesus is and decides, I'm going to really follow him. I'm not just going to say I believe in him or believe that he's a nice guy that has nice thoughts, but I'm going to really follow him. I'm placing our trust in that place. is going to transform your life, and it's going to transform the lives of those around you. That's a legacy that lasts. Would you pray with me this morning? So Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you showed us the way that even within the story of Esther, all these enemies of legacy that were overcome, 
that she didn't even realize she was maybe doing in the moment, but you placed this stirring, this, this heartfelt desire, and she brought people around her that she needed so that she was not overcome by the enemies of legacy, but she stepped forward into the calling that you had for her. I just pray that is an inspiration to all who are listening to this morning. A- anyone who is feeling brokenness or heartache or this day is just not one full of, of positive or, or, or good emotions, I just pray that you meet them where they're at and that you start speaking hope of potential found in you. That there is a hope not found in our circumstances and our situations or our abilities or our actions, but our hope is found in the goodness of God, in the Savior that came so that we could experience the fullness of life. And when we discover that grace, we can experience it for ourselves and begin to share it in the world that we're in. So I just believe right now that those enemies of legacy have no place in our life. Those enemies of legacy have no place in our church, but we're going to be a people that are so overwhelmed by the goodness of God and the land of the living that we live in a place of thankfulness and grace and joy and that we become a people who are partnered in the mission of God set before this world so that all people might know and be saved and come to know who you are and see their lives transformed just as ours have been. Thank you that the opportunity of legacy is before each person today. Give us the courage and the boldness to step into it. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.